Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the debate. My name is Ajmal Masroor and I'll be hosting this debate, inshallah. It's all about Palestine and Israel. I don't want to even call it Palestine and Israel war. If I want to call it a war, I'll have to give it a context and I'll have to give it some legitimacy. I'm not even sure if I can have sufficient within myself to be able to call something like this a war. But we will discuss this in more details and we'll find out whether it's a war or if it's something completely different. And the legality of it all, human rights, implications. We'll be talking about the human cost, the political fallout, the possibilities of a local conflict becoming an international one. And more importantly, geopolitically, what does this really mean? How does it change everything? Does it change anything, to be honest? Or are we going to see same old, same old, carrying on for the rest of our time in this world and for the next generations? Remember, I, I can clearly remember from the day I was conscious, the same story for the Palestinians. Nothing has changed. Is there any prospect of any change? Let's discuss this with our great guests and distinguished panelists. We have uh, five of them today. We're very fortunate to have. Let me introduce Oliver McTernan first. Oliver McTernan is a director and co-founder of Forward Thinking. Thank you very much, Oliver, for making your time and uh, welcome to our program. Alaikum. Alaikum And we also have been joined by Dr. Anas Attikriti, CEO and founder of the Cordova Foundation. Salam alaikum, Anas, and welcome to our program. Wa alaikum salam, Ajman. Thank you very much. And we have with us Nasim Ahmed, a political analyst from the Middle East Monitor. Salam alaikum, Nasim Ahmed. Alaikum salam. And we have Professor Bill Bowring. He's a professor of law at Birkbeck and he's also a barrister. Salam alaikum. Hi. Hi. I, I, I'm very grateful that you could all make it, even though, ladies and gentlemen, they are far away in their respective world of work, but they've been very kind to have given us their time. But also we've been joined equally generously by Wasif Mahmoud, a solicitor. Assalamu alaikum. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah. Your firm is known as Five Pillars Law Firm. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, let's immediately launch into this uh, discussion today. It's a debate. I don't know whether we're going to have much of a debate, but let's let's see. Um, professor Bill Bowring, with you, sir. You're a law professor. You're a barrister. Is this invasion, this carpet bombing, this I don't know what what to call it, this conflict? Is this even legal? No, this is a war crime. It is collective punishment, and it is much worse than that. And the latest we hear is that there are people on the Israeli side who think that the entire population of Gaza, 2.3 million people, should be moved to the Sinai Desert. And, you know, given that two-thirds of the population of Gaza are already refugees as a result of the Nakba and events since then, um, this gets worse by the day, of course. So, uh, so far as Israel's conduct is concerned, I think there is no doubt that really heinous war crimes are being committed. Thank you very much for that. Over to you, Wasim now. Uh, Wasif, sorry. Is this even legal, just generally speaking? Can anyone do this? Um, in quite stark terms, this is a real challenge on the rule of law itself. Right. Um, because what we've got is a double standard in how it's being promoted, how it's being 
uh, used and how it's effectively being used as a shield almost to uh, allow for this genocide. What, what's being used? The idea of collective punishment. So if we look at some of the statements that have been made by the European Union when this happened, uh, when similar situations, not into, to the same level or to the same extent, in Ukraine, for example, these were considered war crimes at the time. That this is something that we must investigate. Yet now, we have almost given up on that idea of the rule of law when it comes to the Palestinian people. We have uh, hidden behind the idea of uh, this is self-defense. So Israel has the right to defend. That's what all the European Union, Americans and British politicians have been saying. They have the right to defend. Israel has the right to defend as equally as the Palestinians have a right to resist. And the Palestinians do have a right to resist under international law, under the UN regulations. And so for that reason, uh, obviously, you have to be very careful because the other thing is that your freedom of speech is also affected. How do you ensure that you are saying something that you're not promoting something like Hamas? No, so you're not promoting Hamas. Let's make of that very clear. Very, very clear. Very none clear. of us are here hmm. promoting Hamas. We don't have of a course. Hamas spokesperson. We don't have any reason to uh, uh, speak about Hamas. I'm not interested in Hamas. Of course. I'm interested in the Palestinian people. That's my point. You, you're saying Palestinian people have every right to uh, defend to themselves or resist. What are they resisting? Effectively, 75 years of occupation effectively 75 years of being classed as second-class citizens in an open, for the NAST uh, since 2007, in an open prison, effectively. Well, they, they, obviously, according to our own former Prime Minister, David Cameron, who said this is the biggest open prison. open prison in the world, as well as former President of America said the same thing. Let's go to Anas. Anas, do you think this war, this conflict, this invasion yeah. has any, any legitimacy um, in... Um, forget law for a second, in the political world? Um, no. Uh, I mean, there is no nothing that uh, justifies uh, anything that uh, Israel and the IDF have been launching uh, for the past 10 days or so. Um, the problem that we often face whenever trying to discuss this is that we have uh, apparently very, very short uh, memories and, um, and therefore, we always assume that history has, uh, has just begun and that uh, history began with the 7th of October events, <laughs> when in reality, and just like Wasif has just said, that this is um, an act of occupation, an act that is in contravention of international law, of all maxims of human rights and justice um, for the past 75 years, and that since then, um, numerous, countless crimes, some could be easily classified as wars against uh, hum uh, crimes against uh, uh, humanity, war crimes, um, uh, ever since. And therefore, uh, what we have today is another episode in a very, very long series of events that have been unfortunately allowed to fester due to the complicitness as well as complicity as well as to the silence and indifference of, of the international uh, community. And therefore, um, in as answering your question once again, Israel has absolutely no justification, absolutely no justification as an occupy, uh, occupying force to unleash the brutality that it has over the course of the past few days, as it has um, over the course of the past 75 years. 
okay. in light of uh, you know our complicit and tacit approval. Let's let's bring Oliver McTernan to this. Oliver McTernan, we have American uh, government sending two aircraft carriers capable of launching their own missiles from the aircraft carriers themselves, plus uh, a number of aircrafts and servicemen and women on it. Um, doesn't that, what signal does that give? And does it in any way, shape or form, give a green light to um, Israel to go ahead and unleash hell on earth? Um, do you think that's what American warships were saying? Um, I think the Washington response and indeed the whole European response is part of the problem. Um, Anis is right in saying that the 7th of October cannot be taken out of context. This is the fifth assault on Gaza I've witnessed since I've been involved for the past 20 years in, in the region and Gaza in particular. But I think the um, important thing was to recognize the Israelis were traumatized by the 7th of October, a surprise. Now, if someone is traumatized, they tend to act irrationally. And what's needed most is to have good friends that say, hold on, step back. What the West generally, and in particular America, have totally failed to do is to speak honestly to Israel. Why? To say, Why do you think well, uh, they don't speak honestly well, to Israel? Well, to say that there is no justification in the reaction that we're witnessing. Mm -hmm. But I think it is, as Bill said, we're witnessing a collective punishment. We're witnessing before our eyes the whole, what I see to be the unraveling of the rule-based world order that came into being after the Second World War. We might, might, we might as well right. throw the book there in the... There is no constraint at all on the actions we're seeing. Last night, I, I mean, this is very personal for me, last night, I received news that our um, administrator in the House of Wisdom in Gaza was killed with his young son and daughter oh. and other relatives bombed. Someone who was working to promote peace, um, Dr. Ahmed Youssef, whom Anas knows well, sent me a message this morning. He was sleeping in the street in Rafa, his neighbor's house, four stories, completely demolished. He said he witnessed scenes that he's never seen before. Another person who has given his life to promote understanding, harmony, they're being totally traumatized, their lives are at risk. And I think what America needed to do, instead of sending warships to answer your question, what they needed to do was to call for an immediate cease, um, ceasefire. Okay, thank because you. Th 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 thank you. And I want to bring in uh, uh, Nassim into this discussion. Nassim, why don't you think, why, why do you think America did not call for the ceasefire immediately? Why has it, it hasn't called for it yet. It came to the Middle East, it came to negotiate or um, our elderly uh, statement, statesman, uh, the president himself, uh, negotiated apparently a corridor through which aid could come into Egypt. Um, why didn't he call Israel for an uh, absolute ceasefire now, even though it's two weeks late? Well, the U.S. has never called for a ceasefire right at the beginning. Uh, after 
any such atrocities like that. U.S. has always backed Israel to the hilt and waited to see how the war and the conflict um, progresses. And that's always been the, the, the path the U.S. has followed. So I don't see any way of the U.S. demanding any kind of ceasefire in the coming days. Um, this current atrocity in, a, uh, in the hospital may change um, course, and the U.S. may... Well, it is demanding humanitarian I bet you differ with you because Bill... Uh, what's his name? Um, the pres I don't even remember his name now. Uh, the president's name. Biden. Joe Biden. <laughs> I see how bad history... Uh, we'll judge him. Uh, uh, Joe Biden, right? Who Biden? Joe Biden. Joe Biden was saying to Netanyahu, um, it, it's not your boys who have uh, shot the hospital, is it? And uh, we know it's not your boys. It's like... Uh, uh, two mates talking in the playground while... Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's a separation. We're talking about the humanitarian corridors and ceasefire. U.S. is not going to call for a ceasefire right now. No, no, now. I'm that's talking more specifically... No, I'm talking more specifically when Joe Biden said to Netanyahu mm. that it wasn't your boys who fired that bomb into the hospital. Um, and uh, it was almost saying to the world, United States of America doesn't believe you, uh, Israel is responsible for the killing in the hospital. Carry on, Nassim. Yeah, that, I think, I mean, the, the, the moment there is no evidence that the Israelis have not done it. Everything points to the fact that Israel actually is responsible for the massacre uh, yesterday. Uh, there's historical form. You, Lyndon Johnson, uh, after the attack on USS Liberty, he basically said this was an accident. Uh, and many people know that it was, this was a targeted attack on US uh, warship. Uh, but again, in this case, I think what, what Biden is trying to do is, is use... Uh, his lie, cover-up, to demand the Israelis to open a humanitarian corridor. Whether that's going to work or not, I don't know. But everyone knows this was an attack by the Israelis. Israelis have formed in this. In 2014, they shot down a number of... Uh, they attacked a number of uh, UN schools, a number of um, hospitals in Gaza altogether. Something like 23 health facilities were attacked. Uh, and we know Israel lies regarding this. We, Shireen Abu Akleh, she was, mass she was killed for a number of weeks. Uh, the Israelis denied that they had actually targeted Shireen. Uh, and then um, they blamed Hamas, uh, militants. And then afterwards, they actually uh, accepted that they were they targeted Shireen. Okay. And this has happened a number of times with journalists, with aid workers throughout Israeli history, not to mention the fact that they've carried out a number of atrocities throughout, uh, you know, since the expulsion of Palestinians in 1948 from their home. So they have form in terms of uh, killing and massacring Palestinians. They've actually said they wanted to. They pre-justified that they would attack the hospitals and the schools. They pre-justified this. And, and, and I think it came to a point when they realized that the backlash was going to be uh, enormous. And when they realized that uh, the, the size of the civilian victims is 500 civilians, I think they realized that they've got a huge problem on their hand. And Israeli propaganda went into overdrive to cover this up. And overnight, they've concocted this story about a militant rocket attack. It's going to be debunked because we know that there is no way Palestinians in Gaza have this level of uh, firepower to cause this level of destruction. That's just never happened. So this story will will, will come out and we'll know the truth. Okay. We know the truth. Okay, uh, Nassim, thank Biden, you. Biden knows the truth, but he's, he's lied, he's covered up for the Israelis for who knows whatever reason. But my suspicion mm -hmm. is that he will use that. He said, I will lie for you on your behalf 
if you do this thing for me. Okay, I think, I, that's I, I, I think you've made that very clear. Let's go back to um, Professor Bowering for um, one more thing. So we know Americans have a professor um, caused, um, I don't know, I don't want to call, uh, they, they have supported, aided and abetted Israelis to continue. What about British government? You know, you've got uh, Keir Starmer standing there saying <laughs> Israeli government has every right to defend themselves. You have Rishi Sunak already in Israel. He's already gone to Israel. You have Miss um, uh, Cleverly. He went to Israel straight away. But has any, have any of our politicians bothered going to Palestine and to stand with the innocent Palestinians who have lost their lives? Professor Bowring, to you. I, I was watching Al Jazeera for a bit this morning and I saw two things. One was the Palestinian Health Ministry. And by the way, what happened to the hospital was ghastly, but he was making the point that Israel has been targeting health facilities all over Gaza uh, for the whole of this last week and uh, educational facilities. And I think this is an attempt at a diversion, by the way, to have everyone arguing about this ghastly uh, rocketing of the hospital and to try and divert attention from the fact that over a thousand children have been killed already and medical facilities all struck everywhere. The other thing I saw was Sunak in, <clears throat> with Netanyahu. And the fact is that, um, you know, Britain has always been in the role of uh, an aider and a better of the United States. I mean, just to say, I've, I have some credentials. I've been going to Palestine and Israel since 1987, at the time of the first intifada. And I've been in Gaza three times and before the war and can confirm that it's hell on earth. It's very interesting that Starmer, having followed Sunak initially, then has had an uprising in Britain of Muslim councillors, making it very clear, actually, that Labour will lose the support of Muslim areas of Britain. And it's very interesting to see Starmer trying to row back, actually, and to say something about Gaza, I think it is utterly disgraceful. And of course, the uh, move which all of them make, first of all, is unconditional support for um, Israel. And if I may say so very quickly... Professor Bowring, One thing, if I may. Uh, Netanyahu has as much to do with uh, Judaism as Hamas has to do with Islam, to be frank. And I think that... Uh, Netanyahu, right from the beginning and previously, is directly responsible uh, for what is now taking place. Isn't he, isn't he being investigated for lots of uh, criminal activities in Israel? No, the guy should be behind bars. Okay, well, that, uh, uh, that obviously is being investigated, so I just wanted to make sure that yeah. you understand that. Okay, Professor, I've got one legal question, then I'll come to Wasif right next to me. And that is, um, isn't Keir Starmer supposed to be some sort of an international human rights lawyer? Is it, doesn't he, isn't he supposed to be aware of the very basics of human rights, and that is you can't cut off electricity, you can't cut off water, you can't cut off food from a nation, you can't starve them to death. And, and, and yet, a public prosecutor, and yet he supports Israel's action. By the way, if I may, um, for 10 years, Starmer was the secretary of the Haldane Society of Socialist Lawyers when I was chair. In my opinion, he was never a socialist. 
He ha- never refers ha- to that. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Professor, what, what, became... did you, what did you just say? He was right. vice chair Sec- of no, a... Secretary, secretary of... of the Haldane Society of Socialist Lawyers. How is it possible? Because at that time, he presented himself as a socialist. Ah. And he never refers to that period of his life. He's deeply embarrassed and ashamed of it because, as we know, uh, for five years, he was the director of public prosecutions, chief prosecutor. And when he, uh, he appears on television now, he's got union jacks behind him and he wants to be the nationalist uh, prime minister of Britain, running it along the same lines as the Crown Prosecution Service. Really, well, that's let, where we are. Let's ask Wasif. Uh, Wasif, this is absolutely absurd. A human rights lawyer supposed to be a public prosecutor, we now hear his socialist background. He's even served under Jeremy um, Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn. Well. Um, what's going on? And he's the one who's saying Israel okay. has the right to cut off all these basic things in life. It's very telling. Uh, if you remember the recent uh, conference, he was doused in glitter. Um, and as he was coming back up, he made a comment, "We are, this is the difference, this is why we are... Uh, a party looking for power, not looking at a party of protest. Now, that's very, very telling. So he would do anything to get to power? Well, it seems to be. This is the dark side of the deal you make. This is the Faustus deal. I I do a confession, (laughs) and this is live on television. I met a potential minister. Yes. He's going to be minister in the next election, if Labour Party wins. He said, I'm not going to give up the dream and aspiration of our party to be in power at any cost. He said it. I asked him, is, this, is that right? Even if it's keeping, throwing people under the bus in, in their thousands, I don't think it will stop. Well, you can, you can extend that, and our defamation lawyers may, might be have to. <laughs> but you're get, a lawyer, this, be careful. Yes, absolutely, but then certainly that extends to whether or not how and how you interpret the international law and the international situation that's going on right now in Gaza. Is it the case that uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn would have made a comment such as what? Starmer has made. I don't think that will ever happen. It might be a cat's chance in hell for that to happen. Anas, um, uh, why did you? Why do you think our friends in British Parliament, our um, British Parliament, not uh, being principled in condemning Israel? Uh, I don't think they can, um, as you put it, and Wasif uh, confirmed. These people are after power, and uh, for some reason, it has become ingrained in uh, the collective memory of those who work within politics is that you cannot thrive, you cannot progress, you cannot, you cannot have any kind of career to speak of uh, without appeasing the Zionist uh, lobby. And uh, therefore, I, I personally believe, I mean, tensions have risen over pre- previous years between the Israeli administration, particularly Netanyahu, and the Democratic Party in America. And, um, you know, it's well known that uh, Netanyahu and Obama never saw eye to eye. And um, Israel didn't really like the prospect of uh, the Democrats coming back to power in in 2020. And uh, therefore, I believe that Joe Biden has uh, sort of jumped on the campaigning or electioneering bandwagon uh, proposed for next year, quite early this time, and declaring his absolute, absolute loyalty and 100% dedication to Israel's uh, cause. Ladies and gentlemen, what can we say about Palestine and Israel? But it's interesting to understand how politicians of Europe and America, including the United Kingdom, are being absolutely cowardly, as well as not following consistently the principles that they've been following and 
championing when it comes to Ukraine. Similar crime committed by Russia has been categorically condemned by European Union across Europe as well as across United States of America and other parts of the world. The same crime committed by Israel didn't even get a mention by any of the politicians. Forget about condemnation. But what's interesting is both the political parties in the UK, Labour Party and Conservative Party, as well as, of course, any other ones in this country, we are coming up to an election in 2024, next year. And it's vitally important for Keir Starmer to make sure all those people who would otherwise vote for the Tories listen to him and see him as a light Tory, a Tory light. So is that the reason why he is doing what he's doing? It doesn't sit well with the Labour Party's ethos and mantra. And what we're seeing with uh, um, Joe Biden, he's in his very senior age wanting to come to his uh, second term, desperately wanting to secure himself the possibilities of winning the next election. And uh, what better opportunity than this one? Anas, you were mentioning this earlier on. So you think both of the countries, America and Britain and the politicians, are using Palestine and Israeli conflict and electioneering um, around it in order to secure their position. That's what you're suggesting. I firmly believe so. Um, uh, because, in, I mean, you just, just before the break, you spoke about Keir Starmer and his uh, legal credentials and his um, sort of you know, academic and professional career in human rights, no less. Yet he goes on and speaks of something which belies the ABs, uh, ABCs of law that even GCSE law students would understand, and that is collective punishment, is a war crime, and that you do not give free hand to Israel or any other to commit collective punishment and to cut off basic life supplies of a nation of two hundred two and a half million people. I personally believe that he was blinded by power. I personally believe that Joe Biden is reaching out to the pro-Israel Zionist lobby in, in Washington so that basically he has a chance of firstly winning the primaries of the Democratic Party and then secondly, hopefully, coming back, in his eyes obviously, coming back to the White House next term. But the thing is, Ejmel, that we mustn't lose sight that one Whilst it's okay to, to speak um, politics and political strategies, but ultimately speaking, we are talking about the lives of countless innocent people. We're talking about the lives of children, of the elderly, the disabled, the vulnerable, people who basically are yearning to be dealt as human beings, to be seen as equals, to have opportunities just like we all today take for granted to live, to learn, to communicate with our relatives, to have a healthcare system. These things that the Palestinians have never, ever enjoyed. The freedom to travel, to see other countries, to meet other people. That is something that we take for granted, yet the Palestinians, and particularly those in Gaza, have never, ever been able to enjoy. So this is something that we must consider as those people who are in power today in Britain, in the United States, and unfortunately most Western countries are on the wrong side of history, just like Europe was on the wrong side of history that led to the Holocaust in the middle of last uh, of, of the previous century. Again, once again, we are so seeing nations, powerful nations, on the wrong side of history and allowing 
for collective punishment and genocide to be committed against the Palestinians. Uh, um, Anas, thank you for, for such uh, uh, clear points you've made. I would like to come to um, Nassim. Nassim, history um, is, I don't want to say interpreted in, or is actually written by the victors. That's normally how history is written. But we are now living in the 21st century world where history is being written by Twitter, by Facebook, by Instagram, and by you and I. And that kind of history will never be forgotten. Um, I just want you to reflect on, and if you can give us your views on this, how do you think um, history would judge um, Joe Biden and uh, Rishi Sunak and uh, our Kiastama likes, those who have been so blinded by their desire to be in power? What would history say about them 10 years, 20 years down the line? What would we be teaching our children in textbooks? I think um, if I can share um, some stats from a survey that was done by YouGov poll um, for the UK, this is also true for the US as well. It shows that generally in the UK, uh, support for Israel amongst the older generation is higher. So you'll have uh, something like 29% um, of uh, UK citizens support Israel and less so Palestinians. But if you go down the age bracket, 18 to 24-year-olds, support for Palestine is 39%. Support for Israel is 11%. So this speaks to a much broader issue that's happening here in the UK and also in the US, and I would say across the world because of social media. We have now access... Every revolution is based on new sources of information, new sources of power that's created. Uh, the, the, you know, when, when books were written, when books were widely published, that led to the uh, uh, Reformation uh, and various kind of revolutions later on. Similar things, but what we're seeing now is, is, this, is a version of that in modern time. Social media is really the is really the driving force of change that's happening in society, challenging our institutions, challenging our politicians. Going back to earlier, uh, the earlier point, why are all these politicians very similar, Labour, Conservative, uh, Republicans, Democrats? Because at the end of the day, they're all chasing the same votes. They're all chasing the same, more importantly, they're all chasing the same donors, and they're harming democracy. And that brings, you know, that reminds me of a, a statement that made, was made by a US, uh, famous U.S. writer. He said, you know, it's very difficult to get, Upton Sinclair, his name is, it's very difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. So I think this speaks to the kind, the, the reality we are facing now where, all the political uh, leaders in the parties, they're very similar, there's very little distinguished between them. And all the major news agencies, whether it be The Guardian and you, The Times, take a very similar line. So it's very difficult to distinguish between them. But they are now being challenged by Twitter. They are being challenged by the alternative news agencies. And, and the competition is no longer between mainstreaming, between uh, mainstream, rival mainstream agencies, but all the mainstream against all the alternative uh, uh, sources of information, sources of news. That's the battle that's taking place. And that's the history that's going to be written in the years to come. And as I said, the support for Palestinians amongst the young generation is much, much higher than support for Israel. And more and more younger Jewish communities, Jewish uh, uh, groups in the US, here in the UK, are realizing the truth about Israel and they're turning their backs on Israel. So the future really isn't for Israel. The future really is for the Palestinian cause uh, in more ways than one. Okay, thank uh, you. Can... Uh, thank you. That's a very good point on which I would like to bring uh, 
uh, Oliver McTurnan. Oliver McTurnan, just did a bit of a background story. So 1948 um, is when this um, country was imposed on the Arab population of Palestine. The rest is history. Um, just give us a quick tour of what happened. Well, I think what happened is a history of neglect. And in that period of neglect, where the Palestinian cause was never given the attention it should have been given, um, the narrative was rewritten. So every time we've had a clash, certainly with Gaza, in, in the past 20 years, as I say, it's a fifth um, assault we've witnessed. Now, we hear the mantra, Israel has a right to defend itself. The narrative has changed. What we don't hear is that the West Bank, Gaza, are occupied territories. And Israel, as the occupying force, has a responsibility under the Geneva Convention to protect the citizens it's occupying, not to attack them or assault them. And this is where I think there has been, in that period you talked about, a total failure to speak honestly and truthfully. Um, Annas referred to people, you know, domestic politics. Uh, you, oh, sorry, you mentioned it was um, cowardly of leaders not to stand up for principle and truth. I think it's worse than that. They've allowed domestic politics and domestic interest and their own interest, I think, to override the sort of core values that holds society together and should govern our, our relationships. We have to constantly remind, I think, Israel that it is a state. It's not a non-state actor. And therefore, as a state, it has the responsibility to behave as one and to be held accountable as one. Now, in all that period, I've never heard that narrative out there. And I think uh, we have... Um, you know, done a disservice to our whole international order. We're naturally heard over the past 18 months the criticism of hypocrisy. Do We're you... defending Ukraine, mm -hmm. putting legal arguments for the defense of Ukraine. We have exactly the same situation in, in, in Palestine, and yet we haven't put any legal arguments. So, I think why we've lost the global south and now have lost the, I would say, entire Arab world um, witnessing this present um, conflict um, is simply because we're not in any way standing up to our principles. Didn't, we, um, we just have interests. Didn't, uh, Professor Bill Bowring, didn't uh, Barack Obama run to Egypt after becoming the president of America and promising to deal with the Arab world and Muslim world more sensitively. And um, don't the, legally speaking, Palestinians have the right to resist when their land is being occupied? This is a more legal question to you. I'm not going to answer that question immediately. Reason is that a few more words have to be said about the history. Under the Ottoman Empire, Jews, Muslims, and Christians lived peacefully in the territory of Palestine, particularly in Jerusalem. Then, after the First World War, the mandate was given to Britain. And we have the Balfour Declaration, by the way. That is one of the beginnings of the horror that we have now. And then, after the Second World War, it was Jewish terrorists 
uh, who blew up the King David Hotel with all the British officers. And basically, Britain gave way, and we had the partition. And Britain has done partitions, India and Pakistan, Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland at the end of empire. And actually, it was Britain that was respons responsible uh, for the partition of uh, Palestine. And actually, in the occupied West Bank, the Israeli military courts are still applying the British emergency laws of 1945, as if, you know, uh, these are still the applicable law. So, so that's under, that under, the, under that... Britain, Britain has a major responsibility mm -hmm. uh, for what we've got formed, by the way. And Britain, of course, committed major war crimes in the invasion and occupation of Iraq. And Blair and the others were never brought to justice. We were condemned in the European Court of Human Rights. So where I part company slightly with Oliver is that Britain has never been an upholder of human rights. Look at the empire. Look at what's happened in Ireland. You know, hundreds of years of oppression. And our, the Republic only became independent after an extremely bloody war of independence after the First World War. Okay. So, so, so I think uh, let, we have to be let, very careful when we talk about we. Correct. Let's, let, let, let's get you back to the, or, uh, the, yeah. the first question I asked. Answer that as an Irishman, Bill. I would never claim that Britain upheld human rights. <laughs> Thank, you. Have, Thank you. Thank you. I thought you were saying that for a uh, moment. Uh, Oliver, you have no, every right on to. On the contrary, you, you, I, I would say the opposite. You have every right Good. to defend your Irish uh, heritage. Thank you. And I'm glad you did. Uh, but the question still remains, and this is to you, um, Wasif. Do the Palestinians have the right to resist if they're occupied? I certainly think so. Look. You have, again, going back to the history, and everyone's got their own quotes. My favourite one on this is Israel's claim to the land is a 3,000 year old promise from God and Lord Balfour. Uh, and effectively. Well, it's like the Finns coming and claiming Britain because it used to belong to uh, the Scandinavians before. Well, the, Britons, Brit the British themselves have much to, uh, to answer for. I mean, within societies within India and Pakistan, what is now Pakistan, they used to say. Uh, you were told the sun never sets on the British Empire and the natives over there used to say that's because God doesn't trust the British in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, you would be surprised to know we have bought a mosque in, in North London. Yes. That mosque used to be the house of the former Viceroy of India. Uh, so we bought that and turned into a mosque. I'm pretty certain that Viceroy is, uh, is turning in his grave in horror. Mm -hmm. the, but the reality we have here right now is that if Palestinians have any right to defend themselves, why is it that we are hearing only British politicians saying Israel has the right to there's defend another itself? Point, there's another point in law that we have to actually look at, and unfortunately this is going to sound a bit controversial, but it is backed up by Professor Avi Islam in, uh, of Oxford University as well, is whether or not a country itself has a right to exist in its own way. Um, does it have a legal right in law to exist? Do, can I turn around tomorrow and say, I want to make a country, this is my country. In international law, that's not possible. And so... So it's, it's, it's not, it's not it's possible. possible. So this, this, this idea of, you know, our right to exist and everything else, that's, that's something that we have to also have an academic debate about. No, but it, it, the Israeli Israel. argument, the Zionist argument is, this is a biblical prophecy. God has promised us this land. Whether I'm a godly uh, 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 Jewish person or ungodly Jewish person doesn't matter. God has promised it to me and I'm going to go and get it. 
So your international law plays no role in this? Well, it does it to an extent because then it comes down to the whole idea of when we challenged God, when we said, uh, I think, therefore I am. The idea of that being the pivotal point at which we then started to say man's rule over man is governed by certain laws and legislations. So when we've put that in place, now we have to put that forward as, an, as a workable programme for how we live our lives. So and internationally, that's been considered international So, so, the, so the, the, the very fact that Palestinians have every right to defend themselves does take us back to 1948, 1967. Yes, it does. And many other or subsequent wars that we have. I hate to call it war on us. What other terms can we use um, in, a, in, in a same debate? Because it's not like two states were having a war. It's one state uh, teeth to its arm, supported by superpowers, fighting against refugees. I mean, you can't really call that a war, can you? No, it's genocide. There's, there's, no other there's no other word. You can describe it however you want. It's genocide. And this, this is something that's long been coming. Now we're hearing very brave, courageous, principled Jewish voices from around the world, and specifically in the United States, and they're particularly brave in the United States for speaking up and speaking out, using terms like the apartheid state, using words like Israel, the terrorist state, using words like war crimes and genocide in terms of referring to the actions carried out by the IDF and the Israeli government. This is, this is genocide. There's no, other, there's no other way to describe this. And the fact that you know, Ajman, let's, let's, let's talk about something that we seldom talk about. Okay. Why are we having this debate? Why is it that we, and this is Islam Channel, we know, you know, where Islam Channel stands. But why is it that we're having this debate? Why is it that I'm conducting six or seven interviews every single day? Why is that? It is simply because the Palestinians dead retaliate against the, the, their captors. That's the only reason. The killings of Palestinians happens every single day. We only hear about the big incursions, the big events. Every single day, Palestinians lose lives, lose facilities, lose part of their lives and their humanity and their livelihoods. It's only because they dared retaliate against their captors that we are talking about in the world is talking about Israel and Palestine today. Believe you me, we, unfortunately, and I have to say this, we, and I include myself here, Islam Channel, which I love and I'm loyal to, I include us in being complicit in pushing forward the narrative that it is only when the Israeli life is affected in any single way that the world all of a sudden pays attention. That needs to change. There is a question that you have raised, which is that Palestinians are being, um, are, 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 their lives are being discussed when their captors' uh, lives have been attacked or uh, in some ways uh, 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 damaged or destroyed. What I want to understand is Israeli government and Israeli supporters would say, well, Israel is only fighting Hamas, so therefore they must fight this terrorist group um, because this terrorist group should not exist. The funny thing is, while they're doing that, if you were to say in Gaza, then fine, may maybe for the sake of argument. But they're doing it in West Bank when there is no Hamas. So who are they killing in West Bank if there is no Hamas? And why are they killing so many people in Gaza who are not supporters of Hamas? Uh, also, add to those very reasonable and logical questions, add to that the fact that Hamas was founded 30 years ago. 
but we're talking about an occupation that's been in existence for 75 years. And, so and, what was and, going and on before? Okay. So uh, what was going on before before Hamas came about? But also, let's let's also address something very important. We talk often, and even in my own, when I teach people how to present themselves and present the case of Palestine on the media, we talk about the right of resistance. Now, no one denies the right of resistance because it's enshrined in international law. But the problem is that we, as well as those who watch us, want resistance according to our own sensibilities. We want it to be cute. We want it to be nice, to be flowery, to be, you know, full of love and romance and, and to forget the fact that you're being crushed every single day, you're being humiliated every single day, that you're being raped every single day, that you're being dehumanized every single day. But the main thing is resist. By all means, do resist. It's their international law. But please do it according to the sensibilities that we can portray you know, before the the, the the TV threshold. This is something we need to challenge. This what? is something we need to challenge. I'll go even further, and maybe I'll disagree somewhat with Bill, what he said uh, a little bit earlier. Hamas is proscribed as a terrorist organization simply because it's a political decision, not because there's a judicial decision on this. Hamas is a political party just like, just like Sinn Féin is a political party. Hamas is a freedom-liberating party. I personally disagree with the designation that it's a terrorist organization. And you know what? There are many European countries that disagree with the fact that Hamas is a terrorist organization. Hamas, in my eyes, in my estimation, is not a terrorist organization. Well, in They're, our country, Anas... Try to put that I understand. In our country, in our country, in our law, it is prescribed, and we are here to say it is prescribed. And the point is very simple. If Hamas is proscribed, and if Hamas is what Israel is fighting, why are they still killing people in West Bank? And if Hamas is, if Hamas is proscribed, then why are they killing innocent people in hospitals, schools, and, uh, and, and open residential areas? Let's, let's talk to Bill. Uh, Professor Bill yeah, Bowring, you want to say something? Yeah, I have a right of reply, I think. Of course you do. And, Go uh, ahead. Yes. So, if I may, please. Um, so, uh, Anas also mentioned uh, Sinn Féin. And by the way, the Palestinians, I went there for the first time in the first intifada, when in Asha al-Usra in al-Biri, women's centre was closed down when they were sending people outside of the occupied territories to the desert. And there were war crimes being committed then. And the Palestinians have an absolute right to resist under international law, uh, including by use of force. However, they are also bound by international laws that says you do not target civilians. So in Ireland, I've been going to Ireland for many years, and I'm working very closely with Sinn Féin at this moment in time. However, uh, in my opinion, uh, in the walls of independence, uh, Sinn Féin and the IRA had a perfect right to fight the British Army, where I absolutely parted company with them, was uh, targeting civilians. And my older daughter would have died in Victoria Station had she been three minutes uh, earlier when 13 civilians were killed in Victoria Station. So what I say is you can resist, you can resist by force but you do not target civilians. Okay, thank you, and Professor. 